Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today I'm going to tell you guys about the murder of Joseph Elwell. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. On June 11th in 1920, housekeeper Marie Larson arrived at Joseph Elwell's house on West 70th Street in New York City. She used her key to go inside the house, which was locked, and began her routine, and she went into where the living room was. And what was weird is that the living room door was shut and locked. It was a door that could only be locked from the inside. Okay, so what I'm finding weird about that is the fact that the living room has a door. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. That's all that sounded weird to me. And it took me reading through these articles more than once to kind of figure out the layout and what they were talking about. But from what I gathered, he lived in a home in New York City. And from a picture I saw, it might have been a multiple story home. And the living room, like we said, had a door which could lock from the inside. Now, the door did not go to the exterior of the house. It just went to other parts of the house or went to the exterior of the house. The living room door? Yes. No. Once you're inside the house, then there's, there's the a door. door to the living room. Okay. Just trying to understand the Just layout. like a bedroom door, a bathroom door, the living room had a door. Yeah, I find that strange. It might have been more common. I actually feel like it was more common back Maybe. in the day. Depending on your status. I mean, yeah, think about how many like old building or old homes you've seen that have the big doors that open up to enter into like a living room or a dining room. So it would have been locked from the side of the room that he was in it would have had to have been locked correct okay but there was a key that could unlock it from the outside but you had to lock it from the inside i'm not really sure the mechanisms on the doors back then but i guess that was how this door worked after she unlocks the door and walks in marie can see someone who she assumes is joseph sitting in a chair in the living room and so she says hello and hears no response which is super unordinary for joseph to just ignore her So she goes over there and she sees a man sitting in the chair who had a gunshot wound to his forehead. And she described him as a old balding man who was toothless and feeble looking. And she calls police. Wait, so she's it's not Joseph or it is Joseph? Police arrive and identify him as Joseph. Apparently he I didn't mention this, but he's 45 years old, which I'm mentioning now because I talk about him being balding and toothless. But apparently he wore dentures and and wigs throughout his daily life. So she just did not recognize him. I find that strange that your own maid would not recognize you without like wigs and dentures and everything. But who knows? Maybe he was always, you know, kind of put together whenever she typically would arrive. I do feel like back in the day, people cared a little bit more about looking a certain type of professional and presentable than we do today. You know, you definitely saw a lot more tuxes and dresses And I don't want to say more effort, but they definitely weren't walking around in sweatpants and a sweatshirt ever. So when police arrive, they find out that Joseph is still alive. He is unconscious and unresponsive, but alive. He survived the bullet to the forehead? Well, he didn't technically survive. He did get taken to the hospital and then end up passing away from his injuries. But yeah, for a while, he did hold on. That's impressive. So what we do know is that Joseph was seen picking up his newspaper outside of his building 
around 7.10 in the morning and also his mail had arrived at that point. An hour later after that is when Marie arrived to the home. So Marie did it. You know, she was not ruled as a suspect at all. It looks fishy, but there's not much of a motive that could have been associated with her. An affair. It's always an affair. When police had arrived, um, Joseph was sitting in his chair, as I said, and on his lap, he had an open letter. And then on the floor beside him was some unopened mail. And the mail on the floor was the mail that had been delivered earlier that morning. Had the mailman interacted with Joseph? All I know is that it was reported that someone did see him picking up the newspaper from his doorstep at this time. Okay, because I was just curious if the mailman had like seen him and saw him acting suspicious or saw anything out of the ordinary. There was no types of reports that came up from that. The night prior to Joseph being found by Marie, he had gone to the Ritz-Carlton Hotel and had supper with a friend named Viola Krauss. But they stayed out and went to see the Midnight Frolic Show. I'm be honest, I have no idea what that means or what that is. But some type of show. Were they frolic? I guess, at midnight. And nothing was out of the ordinary. He was back home by 2.30 a.m., which he'd gotten back there by a taxi ride. He took a nap and made woke up and made some phone calls. The last phone call was at 6.09 a.m. So... And as I said earlier, around seven, he picks up his newspaper. Around eight, Marie shows up. So he'd just been up all night. Yeah, he took a quick nap, but that was it. I thought that was kind of crazy. But later on, I'm going to dive into kind of who Joseph was and his lifestyle. And we'll get back into that. But first, there's a couple things about the crime scene itself that I want to talk to you guys about. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. What they did know was that the weapon used to shoot Joseph was a 45 caliber gun that was indeed Joseph's. It was, however, missing from the crime scene. And, you know, immediately when you see somebody who has a bullet wound to their head sitting in their home, you think suicide. But the fact that the gun was missing points away from that. And there's also some other things that kind of rule out suicide. First off, from the trajectory of the wound and looking at the blood splatter patterns, the person who shot Joseph was about three to five feet away from him. And the trajectory of the bullet shows that the person was, or at least the gun was below Joseph's forehead facing upwards towards him. So he was sitting. There's a good chance a person was either crouching down or sitting on the floor in front of Joseph three to five feet away. It also could have been a little person. A very short person, possibly, yes. But here's where it gets really strange. The bullet that actually killed Joseph was sitting on the table right beside him upright as if somebody had set it there. Well, that's strange so here are the options as how that could have got there one it went 
through his forehead, out the back of his head, and ricocheted off the wall or something and just perfectly landed upright on the table beside him. Or it was retrieved after he was shot and set right there. Either way, regardless of how that bullet ended up there, it's really weird. I think it's highly unlikely. Was there a ricochet mark off the wall? I did not see that there was. They suggest that it could have ricocheted off the wall, but I would imagine they would have found that somewhere. I will point out as well that the cartridge for the bullet was found on the floor right nearby Joseph. It just seems like a really strange situation. It kind of leads more to the fact that somebody picked it up and put it there. Right. I don't see how it could have just landed like that. Also strange, there was no sign of a struggle from Joseph, which, you know, if you're looking at somebody pointing a gun at you, as you would assume he was, he didn't struggle or try to gather chair or anything. Is it possible he'd fallen asleep? I wonder that too. He had an opened letter in his lap. So it seems a little like you can assume he was awake, but I do have some reservations about that because I've seen a lot of people fall asleep with a lot of stuff in their hands. I've fallen asleep with a book in my hand. People have fallen asleep driving at the wheel. Like, I think it's highly possible. Yeah, not to mention that he clearly didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. There also was... No sign of force entry, no damage anywhere. Investigators and police dusted for fingerprints and didn't find any other than his and his, as in Joseph, and Marie's fingerprints. And as I said, the door was locked from the inside, which apparently that was what makes part of the crime weird because apparently you could only lock it from the inside. Was there a window in there? I have no idea, but I do wonder that. And I also wonder what floor it was on. Well, the maid makes it sound like it was on the first floor because she walked in and saw the living room door was shut. So the way that you presented it, which I don't know how it, I guess, but just the way you presented it made me think that it would have been on the first floor. Well, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't know the layout of the home. So it could have been on the first floor. It could have not been. Even, well, you said it's multiple stories. I mean, how many stories did it look like in the photo? Like two or three? Because even if it's the second floor, like dropping out of that window can't be that hard if somebody was in there and had broken in here's the thing and i'll show you the house let me find the photo i have in a minute this is all hypothetical by the way guys because we don't know also it's in new york city if someone was dropping from the window you would think someone would have seen that and reported hey someone is dropping from the window of this house maybe check it out i do also want to add you know we're talking about the windows and if there was one if someone came out of it no neighbors reported hearing anything or seeing anything out of the ordinary or anything suspicious that doesn't mean you know, no one saw anything. There's definitely a chance that happened and it just didn't get reported. Obviously, that's an option. But from the police's perspective, they're not hearing anything. So to recap, it sounds like the killer was somebody Joseph knew. It seems as if he let this person in since there was no break in. It seems as though they didn't steal anything. The only thing missing was the gun. All his valuables and money were still there. And there's just not a lot of evidence that points to somebody just busting in and committing this crime it does leave the question of where the person went or if it was a ghost because you've obviously ruled out suicide from everything you've mentioned interestingly enough i found this case through an article that was talking about different crimes that have occurred and the rooms and doors or homes or what have you were locked and it seems like there is no sign of forced entry nothing was unlocked and accessible you know in a lot of the cases they kind of point to like you know paranormal stuff this one not really as much but it's definitely strange Yeah, we covered room 1046, which was like that. And I know that there's other cases that we haven't covered yet, but it is really strange 
that people can be murdered inside of a locked room. And with get no out sign of entrance. Yeah. Unless they have a key that we don't know about. As I said, I was going to tell you guys about Joseph and who he was. He was obviously a New York City resident and he was really popular and well known in the community. He had a reputation, good and bad. He was a rich dude. He was really well known for how good he was at playing bridge, which is a card game. And he had even written several books on how to play it successfully. And he did a lot of car playing and gambling. He was definitely a party guy. Joseph had been married previously. He married Helen Derby in 1904, and she was very prominent and well-known in New York City as well, even being related to the Roosevelts. She was really instrumental in helping Joseph integrate into these wealthy groups and communities. They were divorced by the time of his murder. They divorced somewhat recently before that. So she was obviously a suspect, but she had a solid alibi and police ruled her out completely. Another reason that Joseph, also sometimes referred to as J.B. Elwell, was very well known was because he had a very poor reputation as being a playboy or a ladies man. See, affair with the maid. (laughs) I don't think that happened. However, he did have a lot of women he kept in contact with. He had a list of them, 50 apparently, some of them married. Okay, so that's morally wrong. But what if the maid was secretly in love with him and all these women, he was giving them all the attention and she got jealous and decided to take him out? I'm still really thinking this is the maid. Um, Have you guys ever played Clue? It's always the maid. You know, police ruled her out and didn't suspect her, but I wasn't there. I don't know. I do know that Joseph pissed off a lot of people. Obviously, some of the women could have been upset that he was getting around their husbands likely would be upset with him for sleeping with their wives and he also was really big in the gambling community and you can piss off a lot of people if you take their money i will mention police found that list and interviewed every one of these women and ruled all of them out they interviewed all 50 of them and ruled all 50 out yes if they want to rule them out that's fine but you know what 101 years later, I'm here to tell you that Marie, not Antoinette, Larson did it. You know, maybe she did. I don't know. I don't have the answers on that for you. Either her or a ghost. I don't really think there's any other answers. (laughs) Zero. It's one or the other. I think that's typically how it goes. It's always the housekeeper or it's a ghost. Every murder we've ever covered, if we said anything different, just like throw it in the trash. Always. If you guys have other suggestions, though, from so far, what Abby's mentioned, go tell us on social media. Tell me if you agree with me or if you think I'm insane. I'm Abby might have more information for us that leads us to another suspect. I don't know. Maybe it's because maybe it's solved. Another thing that I did find in one of the articles, it says, quote, flings with married women and much younger girls, end quote. I don't know what much younger means, but I can go ahead and assume that that might piss off some parents. So he's 45. Right. There's no indication that he had anything to do with anybody underage. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it says much younger girls. And let's be honest, in the 1920s, if you weren't married yet and you were like 20, a woman, you're probably still living with your parents. And I can imagine 
if your daughter is dating somebody who is known around town for gambling, playing cards, and sleeping around, you might not be that happy. As of today, this crime has not been solved. Um, Erica clearly thinks the maid did it. I think it had something to do with his lifestyle. I'm sure it was someone he knew that he let in, and it obviously didn't go the right way. I look at the bullets being sat beside him as kind of like a taunt. So it, to me, it sounds angry. To me, it kind of sounds like a finalizing, like, it's final, this is done. Mm-hmm. Here's my stamp of approval. Just on a quick end note, a little fun fact about this story. It's rumored that F. Scott Fitzgerald, who is a pretty well-known author, knew Joe and his life and personality and actually was inspired to write Jay Gatsby and The Great Gatsby after Joseph. Joseph was born kind of in a lower class and ended up becoming wealthy and becoming a party man and kind of like known as a playboy. And so it's not confirmed, but there are rumors that he is the inspiration for Jay Gatsby, which I thought that was kind of a cool little side note tidbit. That is really cool, actually. But yeah, as Erica said, if you guys have any ideas on this, if you think it was the maid or someone else or think it was the maid or think it was the maid or think it was the maid like Erica, it could have been a ghost as well. You could just like say it eight times like she did and put it on her social media. (laughs) Erica's flipping me off. It's fine. If Abby's no longer in the episodes anymore, I apologize. (laughs) Check with the housekeeper or the ghost. Always the ghost. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.